0: You're listening to cinepunk interactive discussions for film lovers. This episode, Night and Fog. I'm Robert J.E. Simpson and I'm joined as ever by my friend and colleague, Dr. Rachel Kelly. Hello. You need some more initials. It's like Dr. Rachel Kelly, O-B-E-M-B-E.
1: Well, it's considered uncouth to, it? to do, yes, you can either do the title or you can do the initials.
0: Okay. Yeah also oh, um, that's the way it works do- doctor so it'd be rachel kelly What? rachel
1: kelly PhD, phd or dr rachel kelly
0: you don't use the bama phd no
1: i don't have an ma you don't have an ma I don't have an ma oh, no well. i went straight from ba to phd mm. i'm just a prodigy like that
0: Oh, too fancy i see I, I never got the phd
1: well you're on the way i'm
0: on the way I know yes. anyway we. i digress so um you may recall from a few weeks ago we were uh we had a conversation about la Jetée as part of this sort of short film season that we have been running uh in belfast and um so this is a basically a stripped down version of our usual podcast it's just me and rachel here today we've no ben um so we'll try and keep it slightly academic light
1: yeah <laughs> robert's looking at me like you you can't possibly do that can you rachel? and i'm like well i can i think Probably. I'll have a go anyway.
0: Okay, so uh, Night and Fog. Um, This is Alan René's 1956 documentary about the concentration camps. Shot, uh, it's it's basically a mix of archival footage from the liberation of the camps in 1945 and some newly shot footage by René uh, in, in the concentration camps, uh, Auschwitz primarily, uh, in 1955-56. Um, and he sort of puts the, the sort of colour contemporary footage alongside this these black and white images and it creates a sort of a, a rather interesting and, and rather haunting uh, piece of piece of film that I thought was worth discussing.
1: Yeah, are we calling it a documentary? Is What's that I, what we're going to call it? I think
0: it? you have to. I don't think you can call it anything mm. else. What, what would you say?
1: Film essay? I mean, I know this is part of what these, these guys are, are kind of championing and and kind of it's a movement that they almost start and perpetuate for a while i really struggled to th- think of this as a documentary i mean to me a documentary is something it's 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 a non-fiction piece of filmmaking but it's shaping a narrative it's telling a story um and this is more about impressions yeah it's telling a story it's i there's a message film certainly but it's much more oh oblique i think oblique Rather than than presenting facts, um, it's meditative, it's um, thoughtful, it's asking questions, it's poetic, if you can call something that harrowing poetic, which, yeah, no, I think you can.
0: Well, I think you can. I mean, it's one of the things that um, René himself said was one of his problems with it, was that actually... You know, in making something like this so beautiful, uh, he struggled to, to cope with that because. But
1: well, the thing is, Auschwitz is beautiful. That's one of the most the, the most striking things. I don't know if you've ever been to Auschwitz. I've not
0: been to any of the camps. So I've, I've
1: been to Auschwitz. Now, you go to Auschwitz, uh, Auschwitz, and and Birkenau, which is the the sort of the sister camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and you visit both of them as well. Certainly, you did when I was there, which is nearly twenty years ago. Um. And one of the really striking things is when you pull up at the gates of Auschwitz with that sort of wrought iron Arbeit marked Fry Mm. uh, over the top of it, the first thing you notice is how beautiful it is. And that's really quite disturbing. Mm. Um, It's tree-lined, it's peaceful, these beautiful red brick buildings. It's something that René actually um, focuses on Mm. as part of the film. And I think it's absolutely appropriate that he focuses on because... It, that's all the more haunting. Uh, Birkenau, you know, Birkenau feels a lot more, it's easier to process because it looks so bleak mm-hmm. um, and it, it does feel very much like a place where terrible, awful things have happened. Um, it's flat land. A lot of the bunkers have been destroyed um, and, and it, you know, it's flat, empty, barren-looking land. But, yeah, Auschwitz is almost devastatingly lovely and there's just something really disconcerting about that.
0: I mean, the, the the images that he chooses to shoot himself for the film undoubtedly are beautiful. I mean, it, it sort of reminds me of um, sort of the urban explorers we get today. Mm. Um, there is that sense of they're going back to this space that is essentially abandoned. Although, even at this stage, he's always talking about the tourism and how people come and have their yeah. photograph taken with it, which is something we can maybe get into in a couple of minutes. Um, but even in terms of the choice of the archival footage that they use some mm-hmm. of the shots that they have of the camps at night they are nothing less than stunning they really yeah. show the architecture to be beautiful they're, they're really beautifully lit um you've got these wonderfully cinematographic crane shots mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, so there is obviously an inherent beauty within this space that
1: Is that part of what Renee's trying to do? Is he trying to kind of unsettle, do you think, um, in in that manner? Because it's much easier to recognize a monster if it looks like a monster. Mm. And I think what he's trying to do as well is to kind of highlight how, how kind of surreptitiously all of this can creep up. Um... You, you know, serial killers, look when somebody is revealed as a serial killer, but he seems so quiet and peaceful, you know, man next door, you know, family man. And how could he possibly be a monster? But that's what monsters are. They look like everyone else. So places of horror can be objectively beautiful as well, surely. And I think is not that what's most horrifying about it. It's, it's really difficult to spot it.
0: Quite possibly. And I think part of the problem here is that... Um When you look at what he's doing, I mean, René is a filmmaker first and foremost. I mean, this is what he's doing here is he's making a film. And I think it's the instinct of a director to kind of make something beautiful. Now, what he does when he talked about the film and the process, he did say that he found it all very, very harrowing. But, Mm. you know, he was waking up at night having these horrible nightmares as he was going through acres and acres of footage. I mean, so obviously it did have an impact. And I think it's very easy for us to sit back. You know 60 years later i kind of go well you know the film in some respects but this is in their immediate memory mm-hmm. um you know for a french filmmaker they'll have been witness to the atrocities in paris and in france and the, the you know the nazi regime kind of encroaching onto their lives yeah. and taking away people that they
1: knew well the the writer the the writer john carroll was of course the survivor of one of the concentration camps so he's bringing his own lived experience which all I find that quite remarkable that somebody who has survived those horrors can create something so lyrical mm. I mean it's it's I I keep using the word harrowing but I think that's really the only way to describe um the the experience of watching this film it's incredibly powerful um it's definitely I think it should be required viewing
0: This is your first time watching this Yeah uh, this is one of the films that I've, I've been a suggestion of because I think, actually, it's a really, really important film.
1: Uh. I agree with you. Um, and I... Well, it's certainly... I mean, it's a. I, I can't even describe the experience of watching it. I mean, it's compelling. Um, I have... It's... I think Francois Truffaut called it the greatest film ever made. He did. Now, I think one would have to narrow the categories. Um, it's... You know, significantly, um, and place it at the top of its own particular category. But I think I can absolutely see what Truffaut was trying to say here. Um, it's um it's an incredible synthesis of um, sort of. What am I trying to say? It's non-narrative musings, meditation on atrocity, on loss, on survival, on the what the human race is capable of doing mm. um, alongside these images, the absolutely stark images that sort of demand that you engage with them. I mean, looking away from these images, which you really want to do a lot of the time, but looking away feels almost complicit, with being complicit with what happened um, in terms Ooh, of...
0: Is, is that maybe kind of the point then? You, I think it must
1: actually, be, yeah.
0: You know, when you think about this, there were so many people that were living around the camps that were aware of what was going on, that were part of that, that world, and obviously that entire regime. Looking away was very, very easy, but this as a format means that we can't. Yeah. And instead of just hearing stories and talk about stuff in the newspapers, you can see it full on. I mean, I remember at school covering sort of the the second world war and a lot of what we saw was the world at war tv series with laurence Olivier narrated Mm -hmm. um and you saw an awful lot of footage of what went on often very badly reproduced um watching this i think was the first time certainly that i remember seeing the bodies properly and there's a horrible shot in this where they're they're pushing the bodies into into a pit
1: I mean that's the I I remember reading that that's a shot that was um very nearly cut yeah. before they could get a, a licence to screen it because that is so horrifying. Oh, uh, they they sh-
0: felt it was too much for Florentis and I I kinda see where it is, but I also think that he's quite right that this is exactly what you need to it's see. This
1: exactly what you need to see, yes. Um and this is why where, where you know, they calling it a documentary um doesn't feel like the right classification for this because a documentary narrativizes and a narrative Presents kind of like a, a privileged story, um, and the idea behind doing it this way is to to require you to ask the questions. It's not giving you answers. It's presenting you yeah. with images. It's presenting you with these are things that happened, disjointed, very loosely connected. It's it's kind of a thematic connection rather than a narrative connection. Um, And rather than presenting it as a story, which requires some kind of overall unifying theme, you know, the heroism or the the, the horrors of, or um, it allows you to tuck it away and file it under something safe Mm -hmm. and knowable and explicable Mm -hmm. by refusing to allow you that safety, this format, requires you to engage with the horror and i think that's for me what made it so difficult to watch was precisely why everybody should be watching this
0: I'm, I'm not going to deny that there's a lyrical nature to it but i do think that it still falls into the documentary category if we take a little bit broader um there is very definitely a narrative structure here and i think he very carefully takes us through the different stages of the process it's almost like so we open with shot of of auschwitz um we come along the train tracks Mm. that they would have done in the arrival to the camp and obviously they're doing this 10 years later the camp is very very different and it's an empty space essentially but we are being brought into the space first of all from the modern perspective and then we go back in time and we go through the journey that the camp inhabitants would have gone through essentially while they're there and the horror of what went on is gradually revealed to us um so there is a structure there and then it you know there is a kind of a, a moral kind of coda that seeks to kind of i mean it's it it very clearly asks us a leading question mm. um in terms of how we respond to that and what the dangers are for the future
1: but i thought what i find most interesting though is the the moments when the film just the, the narration kind of takes a step back mm. distances itself from what's going on um and allows well, the 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 images, the music, um, to to do the. Dis- I mean, the when they're talking about the cells, useless to describe what went on in here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that it's allowing the brain to kind of fill things in. I mean, useless. It makes you immediately go, "Why useless?" and then it goes, "Oh, okay, mm-hmm. all right." I my brain is now doing the work of a thousand images here. was mm-hmm.
0: um, oh, like there's that shot in the gas chamber where oh. it kind of creeps up and says, you know. You look at the space and it's just a big, empty kind of concrete shell. Mm. And it says this little clue, you know, if you know what you're looking at. And the camera pans up and you see the scrapings on the roof and the fingernails.
1: Yeah, the the concrete pitted and scarred from people trying desperately to claw their way out while they're being suffocated to death.
0: Yeah. I mean, we we see a very simple image. We're giving a little bit of guidance with the commentary Mm -hmm. and then we put everything else in there. And even then, we still can't get the proper horror of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Interestingly, it's Chris Marker who shapes... A lot of the structure in terms yeah. of the narrative. Um, so, harkening back to Leggette a few weeks ago, and I thought that's rather appropriate, and that's where certainly that cinema essay um, yeah. certainly comes in here. And there is an awful lot of still imagery used.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this is again, you know, these are guys that are experimenting with form. Do you um,
0: think it's more powerful or less powerful with the stills rather than actually moving footage? I thought it was an interesting choice to have that mix.
1: I agree. Um, I'm not sure. I, it feels like the kind of. It, it, again, as though it's designed to unsettle, because we think we know what a film is. Mm. We think we know what a documentary is. We, I suppose coming at this from a you know, 21st century perspective, we think we know what a film about the Holocaust is. Mm. And this kind of confines those expectations. I mean, the music is light and sort of beautiful and, and mm. airy and pretty in places where you would expect it to be solemn and somber and, you know, kind of really deeply moving um it's got this poetic narrative that refuses to to bring you in and and fully engage with what you're seeing it's leaving a lot to you to make the 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 assumptions um from what they're saying what they're implying Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah the the mixture of still and moving image there's 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 something about that which is it's it's unsettling. You never quite know what the film is going to do next. Mm. Um and because he's playing with all these formalist expectations that we you know we we know how to view a film we're used we're so used to dealing with uh classical Hollywood cinema which of course you know I suppose he's not really French New Wave, he's, he's associated with the movement, but um, he is part of that, um, you know, the left bank, and they're, mm-hmm. they're playing around with, with stylistic expectations and formal expectations. So he is aware of the power of um, unsettling expectations and unseating expectations.
0: Well, I suppose the other... Um in terms of expectations, I mean, there's there's a shot as well that was censored in the film um, of a French guard uh, sort of setting people off on the voyage to the camps mm-hmm. that the French censors basically wouldn't let pass. Um, they felt it was inappropriate, but I means he argued the case that actually well, one no, of that complicity that some of the French people had at the time with the Nazi regime needed to be projected on screen. In the end, mm-hmm. he censors it himself. You know, He has a, a, a beam put over the hat, so you can't tell the uniform. Yeah, I mean Which I he just, said, yeah he said it didn't matter, you know, for him the truth of the image was still there. Yeah. Even if that had altered it slightly. Well, I
1: think that kind of misses the point. I understand, you know, this is something that's still very raw mm. and, and something that um the French population is still processing at this point. I think sort of accusing the film of pointing fingers misses the point. Mm. A bit. I don't think this is a film about pointing fingers. I think this is a film about um kind of gathering everybody into this kind of unholy embrace and saying, This is what happens when you look away.
0: Yeah. Uh it, it's it's absolutely devastating. Uh, I mean I still think this is one of the most powerful films that I've ever seen. I watched this as an undergrad, uh gosh now, what, eighteen years ago? And it's stuck with me ever since. So, you know, I've 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 watched it, I watch it occasionally. Not for pleasure, because this is not a film you watch for pleasure, but it it, it strikes me as being so pertinent and so Mm -hmm. relevant. And when you look at what happens in regimes around the world and just how quickly it is and how yeah. easy it is for things to escalate and this sheer horror yeah. now on that note um, I was left on a state this morning watching this again because I watched this and then I watched the German concentration camp factual survey film yeah the Alfred Hitchcock after. one yeah so this is um, a documentary that was produced by basically Britain um, in 1945 when they liberated the camps and Hitchcock acted as a, a sort of consultant on the film um, and what they did was they, they gathered together lots and lots of footage, it was sort of Half made and abandoned in 1955, uh, and then it was finished only actually a few years ago by the Imperial War Museum. Um, so, a lot of the footage has been seen before, or certain ass- certainly chunks of it have, um, and some of the footage turns up in Night and Fog as well. Uh, Nuit et Bouillard, to give it its proper title, and Night mm-hmm. and Fog itself comes from uh, the German uh, expression, uh, which basically was used to, to cover the um, the the uh, the deportation of everyone to the concentration camps, um, but watching it, it's even more harrowing. Actually, I think than Night and Fog because they don't hold back at all. You right from the start, you're seeing bodies everywhere. You know, hundreds and thousands of naked corpses. There's, there's, a, there's a gentleman whose image I cannot get out of my head now. Um, basically, sprawled like a star, lying naked in the ground, um, and it's just so horrifying. And you see. I mean, that that constant repetition, I suppose there's always a danger that seeing this stuff will numb you. But what is horrifying is that actually to see the people living with this Mm. and almost how numb they are to it because they have to go through with it and seeing the way that the bodies themselves are almost disregarded, which is what I think first hit me with Night and Fog. The one thing that I always took away from it was you have all these corpses and we are so used to treating them with reverence and respect and making sure everyone is buried in the appropriate manner and disposed of in the appropriate manner. And instead, what you've got is you've got all these obvious victims of the genocide of mm. the Second World War and they're literally being bulldozed into a trench and you see the limbs distorting themselves in ways that you don't see people move around like yeah. at all. And that is absolutely Horrifying, yeah, and you think that we 've done this to ourselves, yeah as a species, yeah. this is how we are treating ourselves, and when you're faced with the the numbers that they 're faced with, how the hell do you treat that with respect
1: well, exactly i mean it's these people that have been so dehumanized and so depersonalized that that uh, other human beings can allow them to starve and die and and you just be wiped out as though they're you know nothing at all. Um, and by the time you get to a situation where there are people who don't who who are prepared to rehumanize them, mm-hmm. these people are there's so many dead bodies that they're actually a contagion threat so oh, even the, the in the typhus, yeah, yeah. even in the efforts to try and and rehumanize them, they must be dehumanized for the sake of other living human beings and it's just it's like the ultimate kind of, it, it's the ultimate sort of Punctuation mark at the end of this is that even even in the end, even when the the attempt is made to kind of rehumanize people who have been systematically dehumanised, uh, uh, the the final there is no dignity even in that moment for the people that that have already passed. It's just it's it's just it's an image that I can't get out of my head. I mean, I haven't seen the image that you're talking about from the mm. uh, the, the Hitchcock. Um, film but the image of those bodies being bulldozed into a mass grave is the one that, that will forever haunt me yeah. um, because we're not I mean and this is the issue that I have with narrativizing the holocaust as well mm-hmm. um, is that we are not allowed those images in, in narrative film we're not allowed to see it. and if we do see that, fil- that, that, that image in narrative film it's been sanitised or there's a safety there in knowing that that's something that has been there's been a decision to put that in there so therefore it's been mocked up in such a way we can we can walk away from that image Mm. we can feel the horror we can internalize the horror that the filmmaker wants us to see there's no escaping that image in night and fog that is an image of actual bodies that have been destroyed by human cruelty being bulldozed into a mass grave
0: it's, it's, it's so extreme in imagery and you know the only word I can find for it is pornog- pornographic and it's extremity It's, it's yeah. not sexualized, but it is still yeah. that kind of, um, of vividness yeah. I, I knew met a couple of people who had had experiences I, mean, I used to be friends with with the late actress singer Pitt who had been a concentration camp survivor and, and sort of hearing a few of her stories about kind of growing up in that environment was always kind of um, I don't know you felt privileged to have met someone who survived. Um, and there was another actor I met who had been part of the Hitler youth we would never talked about it mm. you know I mean you sort of forget that as a, there, there is this side of things as well that people either they're complicit or they don't know anything else they're sort of forced into that situation and there's a there's maybe a lesson somewhere along the lines about mob mentality and about how oh, yeah. easy it is to be led by other people and down this path that, that ultimately leads to, to really scary and humane treatment
1: the really terrifying thing is that i don't think we're very good at learning these lessons no um i mean if you think about the eisenhower quote um after the the liberation of the concentration camps where he immediately goes we have got to document every single one of these things because mm. in years to come people are going to say this is propaganda this just this is just entirely too horrifying and that's exactly what we have these days is people denying that this even happened so thank god we have this this documented i mean i know it's not generally speaking enough to convince people who have decided to convince themselves that this didn't happen Mm. and lord knows i mean it would be lovely if we could pretend that this never happened because this is an appalling thing to have to confront as a species that we are capable of this but what is more appalling is the idea that by pretending it didn't happen we open the doors to allow it to happen again
0: yeah and i think that's
1: the key i mean that's the most chilling line it's really the first time for me that night and fog actually gets kind of specific and and sort of it makes a statement and it sort of says we need to make sure that this never happens again we need to make sure that this never happens again um and i i know i remember you know i was reading um that in 1990 i believe it was Mm -hmm. there was an anti-semitic attack in France, and the French government responded by showing this film. There, on, a, there was on a the, body
0: was actually dug up and that's impaled. Right. Yes, um, yeah, in a graveyard, in a Jewish cemetery.
1: Yeah, and uh, the French government's response is seriously, we're this? not doing this again. Yeah. This is what happens. Um, which I have to say, I I think that's a fantastic response to to something like that. I mean, just to say this is what happens if we allow ourselves to turn our backs again, mm-hmm. if we allow ourselves to look away again this is what happens we will never look away again
0: i think we, i think we've been desensitized to a lot um but there is something about this film in particular and these the, uh, i think actually both those films um when you watch what actually went on and the quietness and dealing yeah. with it actually being able to just watch the images sometimes without a commentary without um deep music or anything else you're actually just left to ponder it and you, yeah. the only the only sensation that i find is is just shock and, and revulsion. um cinema i guess is a you know can be a really powerful tool in terms of opening up a discussion and a debate and, and sort of changing attitudes
1: mm-hmm. i think i mean one of the problems with with cinema when it's being used in its most commercial sense is that it privileges um story over content Mm. at the end of the day and you know as somebody who is has an academic interest in historical films films about history Mm. um i am well aware of the dangers inherent in in um sort of cinematizing history Mm. because you have to make pronouncements that that don't accord at all with the process of recording history and you have to make narrative decisions that are not necessarily um related in any way other than kind of you know you know um, tangentially to the historical record as we currently understand it. Um, so there is a possibility in straight narrativising um, sort of things like this, there is a possibility where, as I said, we are allowed to look away from it. We're allowed to go, well, it's just a film. Yeah. The the filmmakers have wanted to push a particular agenda here. They have wanted to tell a particular story. So there is, we have the capacity to take a step back and go, well, that's just one person's story. Yeah. Whereas this forces you to take a step forward. It gives you just a little bit um, of, of kind of contextualizing information and it makes you do the rest yourself. So it's not, I, I know what you're saying about the narrative and I suppose you're right, yes, it does have a beginning, middle and an end to the story that it's trying to tell. But the way it's telling you that, it's forcing you to step up and do the work because it's taken a step back, It is distanced Um, itself from actual sort of explanation Mm -hmm. it's making you do the explanation yourself so you're required to create your own uh contextualizing narrative around that which doesn't give you that safety of saying oh it's just a film it's somebody else's idea of of how this this probably looked Mm -hmm. um which and that's really powerful about this for me
0: yeah i think um for me it comes back down to having seen the you know the actual bodies and stuff it it really is about that that strange situation you know harks back to the likes of pompeii and and the corpses there but this is very immediate this is very real this is very recent and i think beautiful is the only word that you can use there is something almost um sculptural Mm. about what you're looking at
1: mesmerizing perhaps
0: yeah I mean, it's a very strange situation because it's not something I want to see. It's not something I want to repeat. Um, but it does put it into this sort of otherworldly place. And then you look at them and you realise the enormity of, but these are actual people and the impact that that then has is devastating. Um, and I think that juxtaposition of the then and the now is really important as well because it teases out this other narrative because the spaces. Are stripped of that horror.
1: Yeah, but it also um, I, it it ties the two together, the then and the now. And although, of mm. course, at that point it's only ten years of dis- uh, uh, distance and time. Mm. Um, I think that's really important. Again, in terms of it, it doesn't allow you the safety of saying, "Well, that was part of the war." Mm-hmm. These are spaces that still currently exist. These are spaces that are part of our, and and this is part of our sort of living history. Mm. So you, are, you don't get to distance yourself. You don't get to say that was part of another time because that part of the time bleeds into the present um, and it's forced to bleed into the present and taking it out of black and white and putting it into color. It requires you to connect those images to your current lived experience.
0: Yeah so that's night and fog um it is a film which if you haven't seen i would strongly encourage you to track it down online and watch make it a point in your life to to add it to your experiences Um, i can't say you're going to enjoy it but i promise you it will leave an impact and so few films do
1: i wholeheartedly agree Um, make sure you have some time to sit with it afterwards because you're going to need a bit of time to process what you've seen but I don't believe you'll regret watching this film. As difficult as it is to watch, I don't think I will ever regret having seen this film.
0: So thank you as always, Dr Kelly.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Um, I've been Robert J Simpson. So we'll be back again in your earlugs uh, very, very soon with another uh, podcast. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook Uh, we've also got our website www.cynipunkt.com and you've presumably already found this podcast so well done you if you would like to hear more you can subscribe to us via your favourite provider or find us more details on the website Um, until the next time cheerio